Right now, we're going to be diving in to God's Word. And I'm so excited about this passage that we get to look at this morning. So if you don't have your Bible uh, in your hand ready to go, go ahead and grab it and open up to Luke chapter 17. And that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke 17. So go ahead and grab your Bible and be ready for that. This morning, we're talking about praising God. And I want to start with a question. When is it easiest to praise God? When is it easiest to praise God? Feel free to answer in the chat if you like. Feel free to just sit and think about that yourself. For many of you, it's easiest to praise God when you're reading the Bible or or singing worship songs. Lyrics remind us of truths. Look at the lyrics that we just sang. We sang, you are coming again. Praise. Glory to God forever. That's also praise. You are enough, Jesus. That's also praise. Your spirit is strong in me. These are different ways to praise God is just singing truths about him. One way that I praise God and I'm quick to praise God is when I'm in nature. This right here is Taft Point in Yosemite. We took a group of middle schoolers up there and got to explore the area and look at just the beautiful views over Yosemite. That's El Capitan off to the right. And yes, that little person right there is me. Nature, for me, always stirs up an attitude of praise. Maybe you can think of those places uh, where you just tear up at the beauty in front of you. A couple of those places for me, first of all, is Wawona Tunnel. Coming out of Wawona Tunnel and seeing this view, this is a picture that I got to take on that same trip, and just looking at Yosemite Valley just always causes me to tear up and then turn that praise to God. Because I know that that's something that I can't do. That's something that no human could ever put together. I was up in uh, Alaska two summers ago with Micah and my dad. And we were out in the Kenai Fjords and uh, going around in a boat. And we go around this one turn. And I see this. And it's just a beautiful expanse. And, and there's a glacier off to the right. And I just start tearing up. I was moved. Just in awe and worship and praise. When is it easiest to praise God? When I'm in nature, I'm quickly drawn to praise. Maybe for you, uh, it's easy to praise God when something you're praying for happens as you're praying. Or maybe something you've prayed for over years and years and years finally happens. There are many different things that stir us to praise. But sometimes, Praising God can be difficult. 
Sometimes we can forget to praise God entirely. We're going to look at an interaction where we learn a lot about praising God. Let's go ahead and read Luke 17, 11 to 19 together. Luke 17, 11 to 19. And I know you can't see me right now. I'm standing up. If you'd like to stand in honor of God's word, uh, you are more than welcome to. Luke 17, starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Lord, as we dive into this passage this morning, let us fix our minds, our hearts, our attitudes, everything on you. You are worthy of praise. And so, God, let our whole attitude, let our whole demeanor right now be an act of praise to you. God, that we set aside distractions, that we focus on what you have to say to us, that we learn from you this morning. God, we ask that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you, that we would hear truths that you are trying to communicate to us. Help us to be attentive to that this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's dive in and look at what this passage says about praising God. Now, I know the title might seem a little odd. Well, that's not a command. That's, it's, it's, it's a weird title, but it's pulled straight out of our text. I hope you heard it as we were reading. Before we dive into the text, I wanted to give two points of context. First of all, this passage comes right after Jesus teaching about humility. He talked to his disciples and, and taught them about humility. He, we, we talked about this passage last week. He talked about not needing a ton of faith, but taking the faith that you have and putting it into action. The disciples asked for more faith, and Jesus said, you don't need more faith. You need to take the faith you have and put it into action. And then he also talked to them uh, about serving the master. And your response to serving the master should be humility. It says in the verse right before, and we're going to come back to this again later, it says, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So have that in your mind. Have that as a mindset that Jesus just spoke about humility And then we're in this interaction. 
The second point of context is the location. Where does this happen? Where exactly does this take place? First, it says that they're on the way to Jerusalem. And this path that Jesus is taking on the way to Jerusalem began in Luke 9.51. It began a while ago. It says in Luke 9.51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. See, Jesus had an objective. Jesus knew what he was here for, and he knew where that needed to take place. Jesus was here to give his life, to sacrifice himself for you and for me. And he knew that had to happen in Jerusalem. And so it says back in Luke 9 that he set his face towards Jerusalem, that he started heading that direction. But when Luke says that, Luke's not talking about a physical direction, but rather a heart and a mind focus. There's considerable debate as to where exactly this interaction takes place. A lot of people talk about, well, maybe it happened over here, but that doesn't make sense because earlier Jesus was over here, etc., etc., There have been multiple attempts to map out Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. And guess what? It's not a straight line. But rather, it's a circuitous route, and and he kind of wanders around a lot of different places. So what do we do with this? How do we figure out, like, where exactly this, this happened? Well, what we need to do is go after what Luke was trying to communicate. Again, like I said, when it says that he was on the way to Jerusalem, it's not talking geographically, but rather it's talking spiritually, it's talking emotionally, it's talking about his heart. Jesus' heart and, and mind was on the way to Jerusalem. Now think about that. As he was on the way to Jerusalem, he knew where he was headed. He knew what he was going to do. He was going there to, to sacrifice himself, to give his life for all. And then he has this interaction. That's on his mind. That's on his heart. Another thing to note is that the specific location doesn't really matter. If Luke wanted us to know exactly where this was happening, he would have told us. But what does he say? He says, as he entered a village. It doesn't matter exactly which village it is. But he did point out the fact that he was between Samaria and Galilee. And so the only thing that we're grabbing from this is that Luke was trying to be clear of the fact that there might be Samaritans, there might be Jews that Jesus is interacting with, and we're not really clear on that at the beginning of this. But you'll see why later he does that, and he brings that along. Now remember, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Okay, so we've got these points of context, and I want you to keep those in your head as we're, as we're diving into the passage. The fact that Jesus had just taught about humility, and the fact that there, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and the location isn't that important, but his heart is headed that direction. So when is it easiest to praise God is the question that we started out with. This passage is focused on praising God in response to a request. Now, sometimes we're just in a place and we're drawn to praise, but this passage is specifically focused on praising God in response to a request. 
So what does praising God look like when we come to him in prayer, asking him for something? Well, let's take a look at that. If you've got your notes open, uh, and sorry again about the little uh, confusion earlier, we've got some updated notes up there for you. But you can take notes there, you can take notes on a piece of paper, or you can just sit and listen. But the first blank fill-in is, is right here for you. Praising God begins with a request. Praising God begins with a request. Look at verses 12 and 13. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, leprosy was an awful disease that destroys the flesh and is contagious on contact. But back in those days when they talked about leprosy, they were talking about one of many different types of skin diseases. It wasn't the specific leprosy that we know today, but it was talking about one of many different kinds of diseases. But regardless of what the specific disease was that they had, they had to stand at a distance. They stood at a distance. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Does this ring home a little bit too much for you right now? When sheltering in place started, when when we were put on a quarantine initially, we talked about, uh, the, the leadership of the church talked about, hey, should we pause our series on Luke and, and kind of address the situation, or should we just keep going with where we were at in Luke? And we landed on, obviously, we're in Luke today, we landed on the idea of continuing on in the book of Luke. And I have been blown away by how often these passages are speaking exactly to the situation we're in. <laughs> it's as if God knew what was going to be happening, where we were at in the book of Luke, and, and had everything lined up for us beforehand. Wow, so amazing. I'm blown away by the connections that Scripture has with where we're at here and today. Oftentimes when I've read this passage in the past or when I've taught on this passage, I've said, hey, imagine what it's like to be a leper. Imagine what it would be like to know that you can't go and touch anyone. You can't be near other people. You have to be pulled away from society. No need to imagine right now, is there? We get what it's like to be ostracized from others. We get the challenges of of not being able to to reach out and, and hug the ones that we love. And and touch someone, give them a handshake, something like that. Now, yes, we're we're living this and feeling this. It's so difficult. I mean, I I even catch myself sometimes. I'm I'm out at the grocery store and you know, keeping my social distancing and stuff like that, and then I'll come home and and feel weird about going and hugging my kids. Or feel weird about going and, and hugging Laura. No, wait, oh, that's right, I'm at home, okay, I, can, I don't have to be social distance with them. Uh, or, or maybe you've been watching a show, I, I saw this one time, I was watching a movie, and the, the person had a birthday coming up, and I was like, oh, what a bummer that he can't have people over for his birthday, because 
of COVID. And then I realized, no, 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 that's a movie that's, you know, it's, it's disconnected. But, but, but this has permeated our lives. And in the same way, these lepers, like everything about their lives was keeping distance from other people. Josephus, who was a historian around the time of Jesus, he said this. He said, and for the lepers, he suffered them not to come into the city at all, nor to live with any others as if they were in effect dead persons. But if anyone had obtained by prayer to God the recovery from that distemper and had gained a healthful healthful complexion again, such a one returned thanks to God with several sorts of sacrifices. In Leviticus 13, it says, The leprous person who has had the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! Cover his upper lip. Again, does that sound familiar to what we're going through right now? He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So that's where these 10 men are at. I'm sure you can feel their pain and their struggle in a very different way. It landed on me completely differently as I read it these past couple weeks. But now their voices are used a little bit differently. As Jesus walks by, instead of shouting out, unclean, unclean, they ask for something. They go and they make a request. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, there's no question what they were asking for. They were asking to be cleansed. But, but Ben, they didn't say, Jesus, heal us. They said, have mercy on us. Yeah, there's no wondering what they were asking. Maybe it was difficult for them to even muster up the words. Maybe it's difficult for you sometimes to go and ask God for something to say the specific words of what you need from him. But guess what? He knows your heart. He knows what you need. In asking for something, the lepers did two things. First, they recognized his authority. They recognized that Jesus had authority in this situation. They were asking in humility. It's not the same as asking a friend for something. Hey, can you pass that over to me? Or, hey, can you pick this up for me? But no, they were admitting that they were incapable of getting this healing on their own. So they were recognizing Jesus' authority. The second thing that they were doing is that they were believing his ability. They didn't ask anyone else that was along with him. Hey, uh, Peter! Have mercy on us. No, they went to Jesus. Now we'll see more of this faith in a minute, but consider what else Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. 
Now, this doesn't mean that this is a blank check of, oh, all I have to do is believe and then I get anything I want. No, but rather the point that Jesus is trying to make is that it begins with faith. Coming and asking God for something begins with believing that he is capable. So praising God begins with a request. Praising God continues with obedience. Continues with obedience. Verse 14 says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, back in that day, the priests were tasked with evaluating health. I'm really glad that this isn't part of my job description these days. I'm also glad that it's not part of my job description to deal with ceremonial laws, sacrificing, stuff like that. But the priests were tasked with evaluating health. Now, notice that the lepers asked for something, and Jesus didn't fulfill their request. Rather, he asked them to be obedient. He asked them to do something. Sometimes we expect God to answer in a certain way, and we get frustrated when he doesn't. Gideon was told to go uh, and attack uh, this army, the Midianites that were in the area. Gideon, go after the Midianites. Well, Lord, can can I have a huge army? And what does God say? No, you're actually going to go with about 300 men, and your weapons are going to be torches and jars. Get going. That's not the way Gideon wanted the prayer answered. The nation of Judah comes and asks God for forgiveness, and what does he do? He sends them into exile. Naaman wanted to be healed of leprosy. And so in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman goes to Elisha. And he asks Elisha to be cleansed. Let me read this interaction for you. 2 Kings chapter 5. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. He's coming with all this power. Look how much power I have. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. See, Naaman had a different idea of what he expected would happen in this interaction. He thought, this is the way that I'm going to be cleansed. This is the way that my prayer is going to be answered. And then Naaman says this, Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Well, okay, you're asking me to wash, but like that water's gross. Can I wash over here instead? So he turned and went away in a rage. How could you not answer my prayer in the way that I had asked? How could you not answer my prayer in the way that I pictured it would happen? But his servants came near and said to him, My father, 
It is a great word the prophet has spoke to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Elisha just asked him to be obedient. And here, Jesus asks these ten lepers to be obedient. But there's a huge difference here. See, Naaman was asked to be obedient, and he was told what would happen when he was. Here, Jesus asks these lepers to be obedient, but he doesn't even tell them what will happen. He just says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Our timeline is often different than God's timeline. Our methods are often different from God's methods. So many times I get asked the question, why hasn't God? And fill in the blank. Why hasn't God come through on this? I've been asking, I've been pleading. I thought he would answer by now. The simple fact of the matter is, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to wait on God's timing. It's hard to trust in God's methods sometimes. You know what I do know? I know that he's good. You know what I do know? I know that he's faithful. Friends, as they were obeying, their prayer was answered. As they were following through on what Jesus had asked them to do, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they got up, started walking, and were headed in that direction, that's when their prayer was answered. It took faith. Faith is not only needed in the asking, which we just talked about, but it is also needed in the waiting. Faith is needed in the waiting. Faith is needed in the obeying. You might be struggling with the question, are God's ways really the best? You're asking me to do this, but I'm struggling with whether that's the best way to go after this, God. But God's ways are always the best. God, I know you've told me this, but I want to go this way because this way makes more sense to me. God's ways are the best. So obey. Some of you are wrestling with the question, is God's timing perfect? God, I have this idea of timing. I have this idea of this, this needs to happen here. This needs to happen in this way. Abraham, God, you told me that you were going to give me a child, and, and a child hasn't showed up yet. So you know what I'm going to do? In, instead of staying with my wife, I'm going to go and, and sleep with her servant and have a child that way. That wasn't God's plan. And God followed through in a very different timeline than Abraham had thought. Now I recognize that out of all that we're talking about today, this is the hardest time to praise God. 
praising God continues with obedience. But sometimes it's hard to praise him during that time. But that was the step that Jesus asked these lepers to take. Literal steps. What's he asking you? Do you need to be patient? Do you need to be trusting in what he's doing? Praising God continues with obedience. Next, praising God follows with recognition. Look at verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. There's two things to notice here. First of all, he had to recognize what happened. He had to recognize what happened. Now, this is a little bit obvious, right? He's had this skin disease probably for years. And as he's walking, he's looking down at his skin and noticing, oh, it's not there anymore. Right? It seems like this is an obvious thing. He had to recognize what happened. Some of you have been praying for a new job, and then all of a sudden you have a new job. Guess what? That's easy to recognize that something has happened. You pray for a baby. You have a baby. That's easy to recognize something happened. It's a little bit harder to recognize that a prayer has been answered when you're praying for something like patience. Or when you're praying for a relationship to be improved. Or there's something you prayed for a long time ago. And you've forgotten that you've been praying for that. Friends, we forget. We forget. And so it's important to pay attention to what God is doing. I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, to start a prayer journal or be writing some things down or, or have daily or weekly review with friends and family, just talking through the things that God has done, the things that God is doing. Taking some time away just by yourself and, and talking with God and reviewing what he has done so that you can recognize the good that has happened in your life. The ways that God has been present, the ways that he has answered prayers. So this guy first had to recognize what happened. Hey, there's no disease anymore. Something's different. But the second thing is that he had to recognize where the credit belonged. You see that when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Now there's something to notice here. The fact that he turned back when he was praising God shows that he recognized who healed him. There are many other times in the book of Luke that people were healed and they went away praising God. Maybe they didn't connect that Jesus is God, and so they're praising God for working through this guy that healed them. But here, this leper is praising God and turns around to do so because he recognizes that the man that healed him is God in the flesh. He recognized where the credit belonged. Now, for us, sometimes this is, this is obvious. 
Where does the credit belong when there's a miraculous healing? Where does the credit belong when something happens that just can't be explained? Oh yeah, of course, the credit goes back to God. But where does the credit go when you've applied for nine different jobs and had all these interviews and you finally get a job? Does the credit go to you for all your hard work that you've done? Where does the credit go when you go to a hospital and you take the medications and you you go through the physical therapy and you do everything that your doctor tells you and now you feel better after years and years and years? Does the credit go to you for for your, your ingenuity or for paying attention to the doctor? Does the credit go to the doctor for them knowing how the body works? Does the credit go to God? Where does the credit go? When a virus is stopped because people have been sheltering in place for over a month and have been staying away from others and finally the curve has flattened out and now we're able to be around each other and we've all worked so hard and pitched in and done all these different things. Does the credit go to us? For our ingenuity? Does the credit go to us for our extreme wisdom, for thinking ahead and going, gosh, we got to shut this down before it gets spread? Or does the credit go to God? God's the one that does the healing. God's the one that gives the wisdom. God is the one that deserves all the credit. Give God the praise that he is due. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift is from above. You want to know what the verse right before that says? It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Friends, it's so easy to fall into the trap, to fall into the mindset of, hey, we we did pretty good on this. I figured this out. I did this. We as a society figured this out. Man, let's give them credit. Now, granted, God has given us gifts. God has given us abilities. And so, yes, there's, there's credit to be given for people that are using them faithfully. But all those gifts and abilities began by God giving them to us. And so the credit ultimately always goes back to God. Every single breath is a reason to be praising him. The fact that we're alive, a reason to praise God. The fact that he saved us from our sins, it's a reason to praise him. The sermon wrapped up Today's sermon in one sentence. Here it is. Our lifelong response should be praising God. Our lifelong response should be praising God. So praising God begins with a request. It continues with obedience. It follows with recognition. And praising God peaks at humble thanks. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. We need to know our place. 
The leper knew his place. He fell at Jesus' feet. He knew that Jesus needed to be worshipped. Luke is trying to drive this point of humility home. Again, going back to last week's passage. Verses 9 and 10, it says, Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, being faithful to all that God has told you to do, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Thanks begins with humility, recognizing where the credit goes. In the book of Matthew, there's recorded uh, Jesus' parable of the talents, where he talks about a master that gives three of his servants different amounts of talents and says, go off and use these talents, and someday I will return. And so two of them are faithful with those talents and, and put them to work. Uh, talents at that time was money, but they're, they're taking what the master has given them and putting it to work. And the master, and the third buries his talent because he's afraid and he doesn't want to lose it. And the master returns and they have to give a report. Now, something important to catch in this parable is what do they do with the talents that they've earned, with the the more that they've gained by using what the master gave them? What do they do with all of it? They give it back to the master. Because all of it belongs to him. All of it goes to him. Whatever more they produced didn't belong to them. It belonged to their master. Many of you know uh, Moana and the song, You're Welcome. It's a song of arrogance. And we kind of chuckle at it because uh, Maui in the movie is, is a god and has done all these things and is saying, hey, you, you owe me praise. Friends, that kind of attitude should never come from us towards God. We haven't done anything for him. Not a single thing. God doesn't need us. But he wants us. He desires us. When the good in life happens, we don't take the credit. We should give the credit where it's due. So here this leper comes, and he falls at Jesus' feet. He's recognizing who this is. And it says that he gave thanks. The Greek here is euharisteo, euharisteo, which means give thanks. And the only way that that Greek word is used in Scripture is when that thanks is attributed to God. It's never used in giving thanks to someone else. It's always back to God. So Luke here is making the point that the man knew to whom he was giving thanks. Something else to catch about this guy returning is that he gave up something by doing so. When this leper returned to Jesus, the other nine were headed off to the priest. And you know what was about to happen for them? They were going to go in and being physically cleansed, 
They're going to show themselves to the priests, and the priests are going to say, hey, guess what? Your quarantine is now over. You are now free to go and hug your family that you haven't been able to hug for years. You are now able to look other people in the eye and talk to them, to shake their hands. You are now able to receive touch from other people that you haven't been able to for such a long time. And the one that turned around and went back to thank God gave that up, at least for a time. He said, by turning around, he said, it's more important to me to give thanks to God than to glory in the change that's about to happen. Friends, I think we have something specific we need to grab from this. I don't know when, but at some point, this quarantine will be lifted, and we will then have the freedom to go and to hug our friends and family. We will have the freedom and ability to go out and do the things that we've wanted to do for so long, and and to, to be outside and to go to some of our favorite places and to travel and to do all these different things. And yes, that freedom will be immediately available to us as soon as that quarantine's lifted, in in whatever way it, it comes about. Here's my encouragement to you. And it's to myself as well. Instead of jumping in to that freedom, would you stop and give thanks to God? Would you take the first moments of that freedom that you've been itching for for so long and give God the glory and the praise that he's due for walking us through this and for leading us out of it? Instead of going and being like, sweet, now I get to go and and, and say hello to other people and touch them and give them hugs. Give the glory and praise to God. That's where it needs to begin. Because that's what's most important. Finally, praising God is available to all. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, the focus here is not on the nine that didn't come back. This wasn't the point. But rather, the focus is on this man that comes back. And Luke points out that he's a Samaritan. Why does Luke point out this part of the story? Remember, at the beginning, it says that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. His heart and mind were focused on what he was here to do. He was here to sacrifice himself, not for the Jews, Only, but for all. Jesus was here to sacrifice himself for all. So Luke is again pointing out that Jesus was thinking of everyone when he was going to the cross. And then he says to him, your faith has made you well. That that Greek word there, made you well, is the word sozo. Which means made well, but also means saved. It's the same word that's used in Luke 7.50 when the woman uh, comes and anoints Jesus and Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go 
in peace. It's the same word used in John 3.17, which says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So right here, the Samaritan receives more than physical healing. He receives spiritual healing. Here's Luke's point. Luke's point is not that the ones who thank God get salvation too. But Luke's point is rather that praising God is available to all. Regardless of where you're at in your life, praising God is available to you. It begins with recognizing that he is worthy of praise and that you are in need of saving. If this is a concept that's new to you, if this is a concept you might have heard, but you have never praised God or really just want to know more of what that means, please reach out to us. We'd love to talk about it. But today is the day to surrender your life to Jesus and to say, I want to put you on the throne. I want to give you all the credit and the glory because I recognize that that's where it goes. Praising God is available to all. None of Luke's readers could have ever imagined that a Samaritan would be praising God. They look at this and they're like, a Samaritan praising God? Impossible. That's why Luke brought up this guy's nationality. So who in your life could you never imagine praising God? Praising God is available to that person that you're thinking of. Maybe it's time that you need to reach out to that person. Give them a call. Give them the love of Jesus. God can draw that person to himself. He would love to do that through you. Praising God is available to all. Remember, this passage was focused on praising God in response to a request. There's plenty of things we can learn from the passage. But what about you? Let me put all five of these points back on the screen. Take a look at these five points here. Which of these do you need to grow in? Where do you need to take action? Take a minute and look these over, talking with God while you're looking at them. Ask him where you need to grow and give him the praise that he deserves. Lord, um, we've got some growing to do. For many of us, it just begins with just asking you for something and asking boldly, believing that you can do it. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's in, um, God, just, just in the obedience. Or it's in recognizing where the credit goes. Or if it's, it's just falling in humble thanks. Or it's just recognizing that praise is available to people in our lives that need it. God, help us to see Ah, just how desperately we need you, and that, God, that you've been so good, and the praise always goes to you. Help us to recognize that. Amen. Friends, here's the sermon in one sentence. Again, our lifelong response should be praising God.
There is so much to be praising God for, even now. We went on a hike yesterday as a family. And as we were uh, grueling and going up a hill and just our our legs were burning and we were sweating because it was so hot and all this kind of stuff, it was easy for us to just go to an attitude of complaint. But with this passage and with everything on my mind, I, I stopped and I said, God, thank you that I have legs. God, thank you that I'm able to walk. Thank you for what you've done for me, Lord. Thank you that I have a family around to be walking with. It's easy to forget the good that God has given you when things are difficult. And as we sing the next song, praise God out loud for what he has done, for what he's doing, and for all that he has given you. Type it out in the chat to share it with others. God is worthy of all our praise. Our lifelong response should be praising him. Let's praise him together right now.